0: Peter and John and James and Andrew and their brethren had that privilege for over three years actually walking with Jesus in Galilee and Judea and Korea and the other places where he visited, and they developed a wonderful fellowship with him. But the day came when he said, I'm going back to my father, and someday. I'll come again and get you, and we'll all be home together in the Father's house. Meanwhile, by the good spirit, I'll be with you. I'll not leave you orphans. You know where I'm going, and you know the way. Thomas said, Why, Lord, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way. The real way, the true way, the living way. John 14:6. I want to study with you tonight that way. The way from where we are to the throne of God as we travel day by day and seek in a practical way to walk with Jesus. You know, I suppose most of us when we come to church we have the sense that we're coming to meet with Jesus. How is it when we're washing dishes or under the car working on a motor or in the office keeping books or writing letters or in the hospital the various duties? Do we sense that we are walking with Jesus. How can we? I want to study tonight two very practical problems. One, how to know what he wants us to do as we walk with him. And second, how to be happy about it. How to be happy in doing it. Our text says that Jesus himself is the way. And this leads me directly to the heart of my subject, and that is this. God never intended, friends, that you and I should learn how to do the right thing without him. He never intended that the duties we carry out, the responsibilities we accept, the decisions we make, should simply be a matter of this is right, that is wrong, I'll do the right thing and I'll avoid the wrong thing, and leave him out of it. He never intended any such thing. The truth of the matter is, the great variety of possible choices within the framework of what is right, that great variety is permitted and arranged on purpose to lead you and me to sense our need of seeking his personal guidance and fellowship. Let me state it in another way. It is not enough that we avoid sin. This won't satisfy God, and it will never satisfy you, my dear brother. There is something more to life than keeping out of the ditch, out of the pig pit, out of jail. God's wonderful love has planned a personal experience with Jesus for each one of us. It was not enough that John the Baptist should avoid the wrong thing. There was one thing that he was to do, and for that he was born. And so with Moses, and so with Jeremiah. But thank God it's true of you. You've been born for a special experience. You're here tonight for a special reason. And I trust that many a soul, may it please God to make it everyone, shall leave this chapel tonight with a clearer view of how to walk with Jesus in the practical decisions of life. I am the way, he said. You can't do it without me, but you can do it with me. What is our desire, our purpose, in wanting to know what to do about this question or that question? Is it merely to avoid the problems that sin brings? Is it that we want to be well, so we want to avoid anything that will make us (laughs) sick? is that we want to be happy and so we want to keep out of that which would make us unhappy. Certainly there's nothing wrong with those motives, but I bring you a motive as much higher than those as heaven is high above earth. The great motive is to please him. That's the great motive. In Second Timothy, the second chapter in the fourth verse, The Apostle Paul, writing his farewell letter from the dungeon at Rome to his beloved son in the Gospel, Timothy, pointed him to the man who enlists as a soldier to serve with and under and for a commander that he loves. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier, the devoted soldier, the dedicated soldier, has one purpose: to please his commander. And this is the Christian soldier. Jesus is the captain. And what a wonderful thing it is to wake up every morning with one thought: Take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service, abide with me, and let all my work be wrought in thee. To surrender all to Jesus, to have one thought, Lord, guide me, not merely to keep me out of trouble, but Lord, guide me to accomplish what you desire most for me today. In Ephesians, the 5th chapter and the 10th verse, the 20th century translation reads like this. Always be trying to find out what best pleases the Lord. Many of you are taking notes. Let me give you a moment to write that down. I'll go over it. Always be trying to find out What best pleases the Lord. Always be trying to find out what best pleases the Lord. Will you repeat it with me? Always be trying to find out what best pleases the Lord. Again. Always be trying to find out what best pleases the Lord. Tell me. If the Savior has asked us to do this, do you think he'll help us accomplish what he asked us to do? Will he tease us and tantalize us? Oh, no. For it is written in the 32nd Psalm in the 8th verse. Turn to it, please. And note the wonderful assurance that gives us confidence. We know that he will help us to find out what best pleases him. What will he do? I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. He gives his personal supervision to your life. So this is not a vain thing. This is not an impossible objective we can find out what pleases him best. Not merely in things where we have a thus saith the Lord, but in the application of Bible principles to the many decisions of life. Let me illustrate the difference by giving a few samples. We have in the Bible some very clear instruction regarding things that we're to do and not do. We're not to steal. So if it's a decision between stealing and being honest, there's no problem there, is it? We know what to do to please him. Be honest, not steal. We have the plain instruction that we're to tell the truth. So if the decision is one between telling a lie and telling the truth, we have clear instruction. We know what to do to please him, right? And so we might go on with many things. In from the Ten Commandments, and as they're magnified in the Old and New Testament. But beside this, in addition to this, there are multiplied opportunities for making decisions where we do not have a verse in the Bible that says, for instance, shall I wash dishes this morning or will somebody else wash dishes? Shall I go to town this morning or would it be better if I stayed home and took care of some matters here? Should I go out and make a visit on a sick woman that I know of this afternoon, or is there somebody sick in my home that has a priority? You see, there are thousands of this kind of decisions that come before us. And the answer is not to open the Bible and see if we can find a text that says go or another one that says don't go and apply it that way. No, no. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit to interpret aright the signals of God's providence. And we need to thank him for a mind to think as well as muscles to do what we think. Isn't it strange that people that are perfectly settled on the fact that God has given them legs and feet and hands and voice to work with wonder just how to use their minds in thinking things through. My friend, God gave you a brain to think just as much as he gave you muscles to implement the conclusions you come to. And so God has promised to give you wisdom, not by looking into a crystal ball or studying tea leaves or looking at the palms in one's hand, uh, looking at the lines in the palms of one's hand, No, no. Not by flipping a coin and seeing whether heads comes down or tails first. Nothing of that kind. God has given you a mind, a brain, and he wants you to think. He wants you to reason. Oh, but somebody says that's the trouble. I'm afraid I'll make the wrong decision. Well, you can end up for sure making the wrong decision, not making any. That's a good way to be sure of making the wrong decision. Oh, I'm so glad the Lord gave us minds. What do you say? You know, God is wonderful in teaching us to use our minds, just the same as parents teach their children to walk. You and I were all taught once to walk. Somebody here says, Yeah, well, I don't remember that that eye was necessary with me. Well, it was anyway. Somebody had to teach you to walk, and you fell down several times. But nobody here got kicked out of the house because you couldn't walk. You got encouraged and helped, and helped up again and again, and finally, thank God, you learned to walk. We learn to use our minds as we learn to use our muscles. It's in the water that men learn to swim, and it's in problems that men learn to think. But many people are avoiding and evading those opportunities. They're afraid of them. Well, if I didn't know how to swim, I'd be afraid of the water, but there's only one cure for it, and that's to get in, right? And if you're afraid to think for fear you'll come up with the wrong conclusion, the answer is not to find some human being that knows a hundred times more than you do and ask him every time what to do. There's a great religious system that is based upon that idea. But the true Church of Jesus Christ, the body of our Lord, is encouraged to have active communion with the head. And while we counsel with one another, and this is all good, yet every member must have an individual experience in obtaining a knowledge of the will of God. You know, in this wonderful book, Desire of Ages, more than 800 pages on the life of our Lord. We have wonderful examples of how Christ was guided by his Father. And he went through these experiences to show you and me how to be guided. Take, for example, that experience when they're in Capernaum. Things got so busy, they had so many patients and so many people wanting to know the truth, that people were just crowding in upon them and they didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus finally said to the disciples, some of whom had come back from a tour, preaching and healing, he said, come apart a while and rest. And so off they went, in the springtime, to a beautiful place that was green with the fresh grass. But do you know, they weren't there very long till a lot of people who had noticed which way the boats went started arriving. What were they looking for? Looking for teaching and for healing. They wanted comfort. They wanted instruction. They wanted help. I don't blame them. I would too if I'd been there, wouldn't you? Yes. Now what did Jesus do? How did he relate himself to that? Why, he looked to his father for guidance and he did the best he could under the circumstances. That's all that any of us can do is do the best we can under the circumstances. Notice, he had planned something, but his plan was interrupted. He accepted the assignment of divine providence and he ministered to those people all day and then Before the night fell, he fed them with that miraculous multiplying of the little loaves till all went away filled in body and mind and soul. Oh, friends, I thank God that Jesus has shown us that there is such a thing as interruptions and how they can be used if we'll keep our face turned heavenward and ask God for wisdom, and do the best we can under the circumstances. What do you say? In Desire of Ages 668 I read, We are not to place the responsibility of our duty upon others and wait for them to tell us what to do. We cannot depend for counsel upon humanity. The Lord will teach us our duty just as willingly as he will teach somebody else. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Let me state it in another way. There is nobody in this world that God would rather teach his duty than you. God's just as willing to teach you your duty as he is to teach anybody else in this world. So this promise we read in Psalm 32.8 is for you. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. That's for you. The Lord will teach us our duty just as willingly as he will teach somebody else. If we will come to him in faith, he will speak his mysteries to us personally. Now this wonderful promise. Those who decide to do nothing in any line that will displease God will know, after presenting their case before him, just what course to pursue. That's a sweeping statement of marvelous promise. Embraces everything, doesn't it? Somebody says, Oh, I wish it would work with me. Now, do you believe God? Then accept his promise, meet the conditions, and act accordingly. Those who decide to do nothing in any line that will displease God. Have you decided that? Have you decided to do nothing in any line that will displease God? In other words, coming back to our opening thought, have you made it your goal in seeking guidance, not merely to keep yourself out of trouble, have you made it your goal to find out what will best please Jesus? Is that what you're after? Find out what will best please him. Oh, but somebody says, well, what'll happen to me? Never mind what'll happen to you. You might get your head cut off, John the Baptist did. So did the apostle Paul. That was all right with both John and Paul, because they had it all settled that their one goal in life was to do what? To please Christ. That's all. That's all. And 50 million martyrs tell us that it's worth it. You see the restlessness, the uncertainty, the worry, the fear that are so characteristic of life today. The thing that causes that is in many cases a failure to accept as a goal the pleasing of our Lord. We're too interested in making everything comfortable for ourselves, convenient for ourselves. And it isn't that we want a lot of bad things necessarily. In fact, if we are educated in physiology and in good sense, there's a lot of the bad things the world is running after that we, we're just too, I was about to say, too selfish to want. A person that had a really a good education today wouldn't be trying to get cigarettes or whiskey, would he? Why, he would know that the great authorities of this world have at last found out and are publishing the scientific evidence about lung cancer and heart attacks and a lot of other things that come from using poisons such as alcohol and tobacco. But you see, a person can be selfish and avoid those things. In fact, if he's intelligently selfish, he will avoid those things, won't he? Yes. It's a, it's a comment on how to deceive and lead along even intelligent people, and leading them into these snares and nets that he arranges. But dear friends, those who avoid all those poisons can still, if they're not careful, get themselves into worry and anxiety if they accept anything less than this goal that we're studying tonight. Always be trying to find out what best pleases the Lord. And remember, what happens to you is incidental. Oh, but how could I be happy? There is no other way to be happy, my friend. There is no other way to be happy. He who lives for self, even if he's intelligently selfish, carefully selfish, can never know the real joy of life. The real joy of life is to let oneself go into the hands of Jesus and say, Lord, you gave everything for me, I give everything for you. There's just one thing I want. To please you. To please you and to please you best. Ah, but somebody says, when I do that, then how do I know that the thing I do is the thing that really pleases him? Well, I'll give you a little secret friend You can't miss on it. Absolutely impossible to miss. If you want to please him, you do please him. If you want to please him, you do please him. Because the thing that pleases him is your wanting to please him. It's that simple. And when I say that, I think of a little card that years ago my little girl gave me. We adopted a little girl, and she was just a tiny little girl, and after she'd been with us a while, why, one day she came in where I was, and she had a, a lovely little card that she'd made. It was in an envelope. She stood there, of course, waiting for me to open the envelope. When I opened it, there was a great big red apple pasted on the card. She cut it out of a seed catalog. And she had on the card, Dear Dad. But she spelled it D-E-D. Now, I used to be a printer, and I'm a proofreader. And I usually spot a misspelled word on a page whether it's typewritten or printed. And you may be sure I spotted that one. You would too, wouldn't you? And so it spoiled the card for me, didn't it? What? It didn't? Do you see what I mean, my friends? Oh, yes. Yes. I appreciated the card so much that I put it with my keepsakes, and I still have it. Dear Dad, D-E-D. Oh, my friends, it isn't hard to please Jesus. It's easy to please Him. Away with this thought that it's hard to find out what to do to please Him. Get rid of those ideas. They come from the enemy. He's trying to throw mud in the water. Lift up your eyes to the sanctuary and see the Savior standing there with uplifted hands praying for you, and remember, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with mine eye. Do you want to please him? or just tell him so. And if it's something that the Bible, the word of God, gives an answer to, Hunt out the answer, but as we're studying tonight, especially those things where there is no direct answer in inspiration. And then, friends, what a privilege to say, Lord, it looks like to have a special little personal visit, just the two of us together. And Lord, help me to think this thing through. I'm not looking for you to write the answer up in the sky. I'm not looking for you to send an angel with a golden card. I'm praying that you'll help my mind to think straight just as you help my feet to walk straight. Then just do what you think will please him, pray. That's all. And you can't miss. You can't miss. If you misspell a word, you learn later to spell it right. But in the meantime, you're pleasing him. You say, Brother Frizzy, aren't you afraid you'll make it so easy that people won't study? No, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of it at all. God doesn't want us to think of him as some severe judge, some stern critic, not a bit of it. He wants us to think of him as a loving father, a kind, tender savior, who has harnessed all the resources of the universe to the one task of leading you and me along the highway of life in a successful way. But don't forget the condition here. Those who decide to do nothing in any line that will displease God will know after presenting their case before him just what course to pursue. You remember Balaam? Balaam prayed about the invitation he had to go over to Moab and curse Israel. He prayed about it. Well, that made it all right then, didn't it? If you pray about things, doesn't that make it all right? Sprinkling holy water on a pig wouldn't sanctify it, would it? Wouldn't clean it up at all. I want to read you an interesting comment on Balaam here in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 440. He longed to comply with the king's request. The king of Moab had invited him to come over and curse Israel. He said, if you'll do it, I'll give you all kinds of rewards, gold and silver and all the rest. And Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness and so he wanted to go. He longed to comply with the king's request and although the will of God had already been definitely been made known to him, he urged the messengers to tarry that he might further inquire of God. I have no inspired light shining on Balaam's experience as a child. But perhaps he had a father or mother that allowed Balaam, when he was a boy, to tease them into changing their mind. It has happened, hasn't it, in human experience? The worst thing about it, dear parents, is that it gives children, as they grow up, the idea that if they pray enough, they may get God to change his mind. Don't give them that kind of a lesson. He did not seek to do the will of God, but chose his own course, and then endeavored to secure the sanction of the Lord. you see the point? He wasn't trying to find out what best pleases the Lord. He was trying to get God to give him a special indulgence, special concession. There are thousands at the present day who are pursuing a similar course, they would have no difficulty in understanding their duty if it were in harmony with their inclinations. It is plainly said before them in the Bible, or is clearly indicated by circumstances and reason. But because these evidences are contrary to their desires and inclinations, they frequently set them aside and presume to go to God to learn their duty. With great apparent conscientiousness, they pray long and earnestly for light, but God will not be trifled with He often permits such persons to follow their own desires and to suffer the result. And then the 81st Psalm, verses 11 and 12 is quoted. Put it down in your notes. Psalm 81, verses 11 and 12. My people would not hearken to my voice, so I gave them up unto their own hearts' lusts, and they walked in their own counsel. It's amazing how far God will let people go in getting their own way. He did with Balaam. That didn't turn out good for Balaam or for some other folks. It won't with us. If any man willeth to do his will, he shall know. It's a wonderful thing, dear friend, to love Jesus enough that there's just one thing we want. That's to find out what'll make his heart the happiest. What do you say? And remember, if that's your purpose, you're accomplishing You're accomplishing Rest in it. Now turn over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter and the 6th verse. We'll read the 5th verse with it. Notice that each of these two verses tells us something about pleasing God. Who does the 5th verse talk about? Enoch. What happened to Enoch anyway? Translated. Anybody here have the hope of translation? Won't it be a wonderful thing to see thousands of people translated from this planet without ever dying? So far, how many people have done it? Just two. And Here's one of them. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For, what's the next word? Before. Before what? His translation. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Did Enoch please God? Did he know he did? When? Before his translation. Can you and I know it before our translation? Sure we can. But without faith it is impossible to please him. Faith is simply believing God, right Believing him enough to trust him. Faith that worketh by law. Without faith it is impossible to please him. So let's not try to please him with doubt or unbelief or uncertainty. One of the most amazing statements on this point that I found is in the commentary, book three of the commentary, page 1155. Some people seem afraid to take God's word, as though it would be presumption in them. They pray for the Lord to teach us, and yet are afraid to credit the pledged word of God and believe we have been taught of him. So long as we come to our heavenly Father humbly and with a spirit to be taught, willing and anxious to learn, why should we doubt God's fulfillment of his own promise? You must not for a moment doubt him and dishonor him thereby. Now comes this sentence. Don't miss it. When you have sought to know his will, your part in the operation with God is to believe that you will be led and guided and blessed in the doing of his will. That's faith. You say, Lord, lead me. There's just one thing I wanted to please you. What do you want me to do? And then with it I'm to say, Lord, I believe you will lead me. I'm going to do the best I know to please you, and I believe that will please you. Do you see? When you have sought to know his will, your part in the operation with God is to believe that you will be led and guided and blessed in the doing of his will. Now, perhaps I should warn you, there are extremes in this. It would certainly be extreme to claim infallibility in this, wouldn't it? Is there a man over there in Europe that says he's infallible, at least sometimes? Do you believe it? Well, then don't try to claim it yourself. You deny it to him. Well, you say, then how can I be sure? You can be sure of all you need to be sure of, and that's pleasing God. You don't have to be as wise as God to please him. A little child can please him. You see what I'm getting at, dear friend? Don't forget about the misspelled word. All you have to do to please your heavenly Father is to settle it in your soul that you're surrendering all to him To do the best you know to make him happy. Then do it. And it'll make him happy also. You may know more about it a year from now, how to do it. That'll be all right. I'd like to learn something in the next year, wouldn't you? Which means that I don't know everything tonight. But I know enough to please him. All I need to do to please him is to surrender my soul to him and seek in every decision to do what I think he wants me to do. That's all. And to believe, when I ask him for guidance, that he will do it. Let's keep it simple. What do you say, dear? What do you say? All right. Now I'd like to hear from somebody that got something tonight. Will you come up and tell us what you got in a sentence or two? Not to cover the whole subject, but something that you got that's going to bless your soul. You speak of it, and that'll help somebody else. Going over things by repetition, fixes them in our mind, and responding to what Jesus has told us in his word brings joy to his heart.
1: Seems like the main thought in tonight's talk was was the main thought that I got, was knowing that just wanting to please Jesus pleases him. And I know that this is going to make such a difference in my relationship to him, probably from now on. And I'm just, just so thankful to know about this. Before I came tonight, I specially asked the Lord to give me a blessing. And uh, I had some special things in my heart. And I believe the Lord gave me just what I asked for.
2: Amen. I'm so thankful, folks,
1: that the Lord lets us know once in a while that we please him because he gives us these answers. He did the same thing yesterday, I could hardly believe it. I know that if we just simply come to him and say, Lord, these things are too big for me. You know we want to please you. And then he gives us these little rays of light and says, Yeah, I know, and I love you. And he gives us some answers. And I'm so grateful for that tonight. I'm so thankful for the great love of our Father that he really enjoys giving us counsel, individual counsel. You know, in this world, one of the things that people pay the most for is counsel, isn't it? But he gives counsel and just loves to. Sometimes, And he leads beautifully, sometimes through the strangest experiences, but they're all worthwhile. Twenty-five years ago, I was going through a very difficult experience. I said to Frazy, If I just knew what the Lord wanted me to do, I'd do it. And he said, Marjorie, if you want to please him, you do. I couldn't believe it. But I've learned that it's true. I've been through many difficult situations since then. That has been a state of
3: my heart. God. I've decided tonight that I don't want to be intelligently selfish anymore. I want... I want to, like was brought out tonight,
4: do things for God's benefit. And I know that that will make me the happiest too. In the long run.
0: Not necessarily the first
4: day.
3: (laughs) I'm really thankful to God because he understands us in the way we are. Two and a half years ago, we were coming to this country without knowing the language, without friends, but Jesus, and almost without money. But now, when we are planning to leave very soon back to our country, we have seen the hand of God guiding us in every moment of our life. Amen. Amen. And tonight, I am thankful to him because if we give all to him, it's not difficult to please him, and I want to please him. Thank you. Lord. After this message tonight, I will pray even harder and more assuredly,
0: <clears throat> and my prayer will be, Lord, let me please you and not myself. If indeed in pleasing him a decision does come that I should leave Wildwood shortly I don't want to miss this opportunity to
4: thank so many of you. God has blessed me with your love which we all so need. So I thank you most humbly. Thank God. As long as I do have the privilege to stay here. I can only say a little sign I saw last Sabbath on a wall. Please be patient. God is not through with me yet. Thank you, and perhaps so all
1: the rest. I love Jesus too, and I would like to please him also.
0: That does please him.
1: In the years since I became a Christian, I've always been thrilled and excited about how often And I've been studying this subject and really meditating upon it, and soon it's been presented in a sermon. (laughs) And to me it's thrilling that God is leading us all in the same path. And there are several instances in the past year that I've had some important decisions I wanted to make, and I wanted to make the right ones. And I guess sometimes I'd like handwriting on the wall, only not the kind that you're terrified by. But... I don't think that's the Lord's plan for us most of the time. I think he, at least not in my case, he wants me to trust him, and then he seems to reveal it when I need it most. But in three instances I can think of that I have laid things at his feet and told him that I wanted to do what made him happy, and I would pray about it periodically, but always thinking, I want to do what what you want me to do, Lord, and he's... We the answers to each of them, he's given me peace of mind about it. I've known that he answered it. And that in itself encourages you. It makes you want to keep on going the way you've been going, at least in, uh, when you've been doing the right thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so thankful to him that he says we can believe that we're pleasing him. when And we want to. Lord,
4: I'm really grateful
3: for this message tonight. I'm really thankful no, I'm thankful for this message because the Lord has just shown me that, Mark, you don't have to sit down and try and figure out all these difficult things. You don't have to sit down and, and burn out your mind trying to figure out what's the best thing to do and then do that and avoid those things that are wrong. But if you truly commit your way to me and just try and please me in every way, I'll reveal them to you and you'll know what the right way is. And I'm so thankful for that because I'm tired of trying to figure out the right from the wrong. And tonight, in front of you as witnesses, and in front of the Lord, I'd like to purpose what's once more in my heart just to please the Lord and to try and find out what's pleasing to him. And if anybody sees me doing something that isn't pleasing to the Lord, if the Lord reveals it to you, I'd like that information too. So, thank you. I often think how wonderful it is to receive an answer to our prayers when we're asking the Lord's guidance and seeking his way. And what a blessing it is when he says yes, and how joyful it makes us. And then, too, when he says no, how comforting it is to know that we can forget it. But then, for the real hard one comes along, that one that says, wait a while. Then you'll remember that the Lord is working on all of us to perfect the patience of his saints.
4: This past week, it's probably been one of the hardest, one of the most difficult weeks that I've ever gone through. only time I can remember going through such a week as this past week was before coming to Walwood. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing went right. Budgets were incorrect. People were inconsistent, and so if I showed it in my countenance, if I showed it in a little memo that each home head will probably receive on Sunday, (laughs) I want you to forgive me. But you know, this week, as a matter of fact, tonight, it's a beautiful five years ago tonight my family came to Wildwood. Thank God. And so tonight's message has a double meaning. And somehow the devil didn't want me here tonight, either, because I came into another complication and I was late coming. And I was so tired on the basis that I felt, well, I'll stay home and I might listen to it. But I determined that I had to come, and I'm thankful that I did come, because there was something there for me personally. But I can say this, that the reason this past week... The burden seemed heavy it was because I kept looking down and looking at myself. And tonight I thank the Lord for this message because I can look up. Because that's where my strength and hope is. So if I've offended anyone by looks, by comments, or by actions, I ask for your forgiveness. God bless your life. Thank you. Happy five years. Amen.
2: I am aware of contact lenses, as some of you know, and there's nothing more irritating, even if you wear eyeglasses, than getting a fingerprint or something in your line of vision. This is particularly true when you're somewhere where you can't correct it at the moment, like driving a car or playing the organ. (laughs) And uh, it's such a relief when you can stop whatever you're doing and take care of the problem so that everything gets back into focus again the way it should be. And I think on this very practical subject tonight it's very easy for it all to get us uh, sort of out of focus. And I very much look forward to coming tonight because I knew that I would get this in focus. And fortunately I think most of my life I've been quite receptive to the the idea of doing what is right and wanting to please the Lord, but I think a lot of times it wasn't for the right reasons. Probably more for uh, to avoid problems. And I think uh, tonight has helped me to get things in folks so that I'll do it to uh, partake of the blessings, not necessarily avoid the problems.
4: God bless Amen. Right, now, dear ones. Before we have our closing prayer, this little word. With somebody here, this may be the most important thing. Or missus. You've heard the word from the word. You've heard the responses of various people.
0: But don't think that the way other people respond is necessarily a guideline for you. You may not be able to relate to everybody's experience tonight, but let that worry you in the least. They may have small more lessons to learn. They may be on a different page in the book than you are. Suddenly, you your soul that the relations between God and each person are as distinct and full as though that one were the only one in all this planet. Get that clear in your mind. Don't let the wonderful experience that somebody else is having make you feel shriveled and dropped. On the other hand, if somebody says something and you think, oh, that's extreme, that's fanatical, that's dangerous, it may be. You may have to learn the hard way. You don't have to go by anybody else. Jesus is your example. And he's dealing with you. Make up your mind that your one business is to please him and do the thing that you believe will please him, guided by his word and by his spirit. Will you do that? How many of us would like to sin in the Lord? We will. God bless you, everyone. Shall we stand? Our precious Lord, we thank you with all our hearts that Jesus is the way. We come to thee, blessed Lord. We put our little hands in thy hand Take us. We thank thee. Amen. God bless you and give you a happy Sabbath.
3: This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,